Hi, and welcome to the Machine Ethics Podcast. This week we're talking to Matthew Shannon about law adaptation, UK, EU car laws, legislation, automated cars, insurance industry, central government insurance funds, loop systems, cross-border insurance, killer programs, compensation, crashes, strict liability, and much, much more. You can find us on machine-ethics.net or on patreon.com forward slash machine ethics. Thank you and hope you enjoy. Hi, Matthew. Um, thanks for joining me on the, this podcast. If you'd like to give yourself a, a quick intro, tell people um, who you are and what you're doing at the moment. Oh, hi. Uh, my name is Matthew Channon. Um, I am a co-author of the book Law and Driverless Cars to be published in 2018. Um, I'm a PhD candidate in law at the University of Exeter and also a teaching fellow in law at the University of Southampton. Great. Um, so... I saw on your um, information that the book is not going to be out until 2018, is that right? Yeah, 2018, yeah. So we, we're going to start writing it um, next year Yeah. Uh, when we have a bit better knowledge of exactly what the legislation is going to be. Sure. Um, but obviously there's some parts now which, which are I'm currently writing little bits and pieces of it. But yeah, it's not out until 2018, um, early 2018 right. at the moment. Great, and and obviously there'll be things coming in the, in the, the new year about something like legislation actually coming to fruition, right? Concerning yeah. the government's opinion on drivers' cars, which I think uh, in the last podcast Lucy briefly mentioned um, about what's been said already. Is there is there things coming up on the horizon which you both know about? Um, well, there's a um, obviously the, there was the uh, there's a, there was the Minister of Transport consultation which ended. Um, well, the responses were ended on the, uh, I think it's the 9th of September. And just this last week, there was also a, um, uh, the House of Lords have, start, have, have introduced an inquiry on this as well. They've basically set out a load of questions they want answering. Um, so that's now mm. just been started as well. Is that concerning the automated cars specifically or is that um, a plethora of things? I think it's the driverless cars is the main point, uh, the main part of it. Um, so a lot of it is uh, driverless cars. Um, and that, that's, as, that's as far as I know about it, to be honest. Um, but I think that the main part of it is driverless cars. Yeah, so I'd like to mention briefly that if you're, if you're not in the UK, this is obviously um, UK-specific um, that we're talking about at the moment. What, Matthew, do you think of when, I, when you say artificial intelligence? What comes to mind in, when you're talking about um, automation and cars and drones and various other things? Um, what do you think when you think of um, artificial intelligence? I think of legal complexity. Right. I think of um, it, it, when, when you think about all of these things, that the law is going to have a lot of adaptation to do. It's going to have to adapt a lot all of this new area of artificial intelligence driverless cars drones unmanned ships they're going to have to it, it's going to have to adapt in such a way it's going to be a, a legal nightmare at times i think and so for me when i think about it i think about the regulatory aspects of it i think well we're going to have a lot of that we're going to have to adapt ourselves we're going to have to adapt our thinking our knowledge we're going to have to i mean i always think i mean uh, especially with these sort of areas like drones and driverless cars, you've got to kind of adapt the public perception as well. The public are, will be quite, they're quite scary things, these are. So when I think about artificial intelligence, I think that it's, 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 a, it's going to be a regulatory nightmare to begin with. Um, and um, obviously there's lots of ethical issues as well, and there's lots of issues with public perception. 
it's exciting. There's no mm. doubt this is going to be really exciting over the coming years. You know, looking at all of these fantastic new developments in cars is going to massively help um, the economy. It's going to help everybody, really. But part of me is also a little bit skeptical, a little bit, you know, it, it's a little bit difficult at times to think about all of this. And, you, you know, all of these massive adaptations that are just going to be coming on the road soon it, it's it's it can be quite scary as well i think do you think um we're almost jumping the gun on the technology in that we've got a lot of chasing to do uh, and you mentioned the amount of legislation or kind of infrastructure we'd have to put down um in order for that technology to you know come into its adulthood i guess are we are we chasing our tails do you think yeah well this is this is it's really interesting because i like to make a comparison with um the original motor car Hmm. Part of our research has been about, well, how did we adapt when these motor cars were on the road? Um, so in 1896, the motor car was introduced and it took 34 years to legislate for them properly. When they were first introduced, they were capped at two miles an hour. The original motor car was capped at two miles an hour and you had to have somebody walking in front of them with a red flag. And they'd have to go into all these cities. You'd have all these people standing around looking at them like, oh, my God, what is this? And I remember reading an article that said, and it's absolutely fascinating, that within 20, in, like, in the 1910s, 1915s, they were universally hated, these vehicles were. They were absolutely detested because people were scared of them. People were actually scared of these vehicles. And I remember people, I remember saying that people used to throw stones at them. They would mm. slash their tires. And I just think that there's got to be a bit, we've got to be a bit careful in that when we introduce these vehicles, we've got to introduce them in a way that, you know, that, that, that ensures that the public are confident. We don't want to just start chucking all of these. We are, they already kind of have started putting them on the road, but they don't want to put yeah. them mass on the road and, you know, for them to start really crashing and everything else. They need to be a bit careful with it. So when I look back and I think, well, we need to learn the lessons from the past and maybe not spend 34 years legislating for it either. Right. I think that's a really interesting point. I mean, um, with a lot of this stuff, it's it's things that have happened before kind of in, in society in some way. Um, we can yeah. learn for those. Um, I get... Uh, so what... Um, is it that first got you uh, involved and interested in cars, automation? And you mentioned drones as well um, previously to me. Uh, so what, what kind of like tickled your fancy with all this stuff? Um, and that's going into your book and into your work at the moment. Well, my, my actual, my PhD is based on uh, motor insurance law. So I'm looking at um, the way insurers are able to avoid or um, exclude liability to third parties. And my main aim is to see, well, are we properly protected by the insurance industry? Are we properly protected and are third parties properly protected um, by, you know, and are they able to get the compensation that they need? So my main aim when I look at driverless cars specifically is to see, well, well, firstly, to ensure that we learn from the lessons from the past, which is that there were major issues when the motor car was introduced that people were not getting compensated. People were not getting compensated effectively and the first parts of legislation were appalling. So now I'm looking at, well, how can we learn from those lessons? And, you know, how can we ensure that everybody who gets hit by one of these vehicles 
Um, and although they're going to be relatively safe, they are. They're still going to be. And if there was somebody killed in July, we need to ensure that people are safe. So my main aim is to, well, my, my PhD doesn't really look that much at driverless cars, but it, it kind of follows through, doesn't it? Really, with motor insurance and driverless cars, it's, it. You know, I I need to look at the future as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, what's the what's the biggest pitfall you see in that um, future environment? Because so in the present future, I feel like there's going to be a mix of automated vehicles and yeah. and kind of person-driven yeah. vehicles. Yeah. What's the biggest kind of um, insurance debacle um, which you think is going to be involved in that sort of scenario? It's an interesting um, point. I mean, the issue that we've got is really, at the moment, um, the motor insurance law itself for conventional vehicles is kind of, it's it's... The, the legislation needs updating. The legislation for general vehicles or normal vehicles as they are on the road now um, was introduced in 1934 and then updated in 1988. But however, basically the 1988 Act is very, very, very similar to the 1934 Act. So essentially our motor insurance law is 80 years old. And we've obviously got the issue of Brexit coming up and our mo- a lot of our um, motor insurance law is actually... Um, from the what we call the motor insurance directives from the EU, and now we don't know now what's going to happen because we don't know whether they are, um, you know, whether they're going to apply or not anymore. And the motor insurance directives have, I mean, at the moment UK law is infringing and in breach of EU law quite significantly, and the government was sued last year, or two years ago. I don't know it was two years ago they were sued because they were basically breaching EU law. With the road traffic act so our road traffic act is at the moment to be quite honest with you not fit for purpose so now the issue is well what do we do how do we um ensure that driverless cars and the insurance law for driverless cars um you know is fit for purpose so i think what they need to do is they need to get rid of the current motor insurance legislation and have a brand new act update it properly and another insurance issue which, which needs to be decided is with especially with driverless cars and also with conventional vehicles is where do we insure them do we do we insure them on private property or public property currently eu law says you have to insure everywhere private land and public land um although there's a bit of a discussion on this at the moment with the european commission um and my my own personal opinion is you need to be insuring them everywhere and so you cannot just insure driverless cars on public property. You need to insure them everywhere. You need to ensure that the third party is guaranteed compensation. Um, if you run somebody over on your driveway, they're not guaranteed compensation. They won't get compensation. If you run somebody over one foot beyond your driveway, they are going to they're going to get the compensation. So it's all a bit of a, the whole area needs updating, really. That's a very strange uh, position that we're currently in then. So what you're saying is that if, you, um, if you're if on someone's private land and yep. you came into a road accident somehow, that you wouldn't be guaranteed compensation unless there was some sort of other circumstance. Well, no, that you wouldn't, you wouldn't you, the insurer could refuse to pay. The insurer would say, we're not going to pay for it. Right, and that then causes major, major issues because obviously that means that people are not going to get the compensation. So the question is, I, you need to really, you need to ensure that with driverless cars, you 
give the you know the insurers are insuring them also on private land um and under eu law you know insurers should be paying out um however you the uk is saying no we're not we're not allowing that we're just not going to pay we're not we, the insurers don't have to pay if it's on private property wow uh, well, I will try not to get into uh, <laughs> any accidents on private property, so that's good to know. Um, yep. So, I mean, at this point, we're kind of presuming that um, that this is going to happen and that it's a good thing, possibly, or yep. um, agnostic thing to be happening. Do you, do you have any strong opinions on, on whether um, automotive vehicles in their kind of foreseeable form or in a different form is good, bad? Um, you know, shades of grey. Uh, do you have a strong opinion on, on kind of the just general mm. like a gut feeling about how these should work and, and whether it's a good thing? There's no doubt, really, that automated vehicles are brilliant for the economy, for everything. I mean, it's going to save a lot. It's going to save a lot of lives. People aren't going to be, um, you know, there's there's not going to be as many people dying on the roads. That's the first fantastic thing. Right. Yep. It's also going to ensure that it's going to ensure that there's um, you know it's going to, it's going to save a lot of money. Um, I think I, I read a report saying about uh, one trillion dollars in the United States or something like that. One trillion dollars worth of money saved through these cars. Um, well, I think I think it was two hundred and seventy-two billion, and then one trillion if you count the lives, etc., or whatever. But yeah, they, there's a lot of money to be saved. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll cut that bit out actually. Right. Um, <laughs> there, may, there may be a lot of money to be saved. It's also just fantastic for the economy. It's fantastic for emergency services because it means that you can have less people being injured. Um, but also then you've got the regulatory issues. You've got the major regulatory issues in this. Um, and we need to be, they need to ensure that the, the government needs to ensure that they are up to date with the regulatory issues. Um, so I, although I'm very, you know, I, they, they need to be on, on the roads, you know, there'll be a fantastic ad- addition to the roads. I'm also a little bit cautious that they need to, we need to ensure first and foremost, whenever they are get into an accident, the injured party is always compensated. Right. So whoever's injured in an accident, they must always be compensated. But the- so I am looking forward to this technology but i'm also a little bit cautious yeah i mean that sounds i think that sounds uh, oxymoronic for insurers right because uh, the whole act of insuring something is basically uh, you're playing a big game poker you're you're gambling on whether it's someone's fault or not someone's fault um and you make money because people keep paying you f- for the chance that something might happen right yeah so yeah. if the insurers are always going to pay out why what was the incentive to insure in the first place i guess well i mean the, the insurance industry um makes a lot of money um mm. and they'll charge they'll, they'll basically they'll put their premiums they'll they'll base their premiums on the risk of something going, sure. that's going to happen yeah, yeah so if they pay out for everybody it just means the premium is going to be higher so all that means is they'll just increase their premiums um and i think probably for the beginning you're going to have quite high premiums for these vehicles yeah, because um, it would be a bit of a not, yeah. Yeah, they don't know, don't know what the risk is. Yeah, they don't. Yeah, they don't know what the risk is. They don't, they don't know what they're insuring. So you're going to have very high risk to begin with, um, I'd imagine, and then they're probably going to have quite high premiums, and they're they're just going to come down when they know what the risk is. So um, the insurance industry is actually investing a lot of money in this, um, but I, in a way, it, it's also kind. Of, it's a bit weird for them because they're going to lose the motor insurance business because motor insurance is just going to. Keep going, getting less and less, 
Um, you're still going to have these conventional vehicles on the road, but you're going to have less insure. You're going to have less of them to insure, and there's going to be less risk of accidents. And it's just so their business is actually their motor insurance business is going. It's mm. going to start going. And actually, they might, the, I think I mean, uh, Lucy spoke last time that there might be a tipping point where actually, as their motor insurance ta- uh, tapers off, that the premiums for those actual human drivers will will become much higher than actually. And the automated drivers, because the that will be hopefully in the long run much safer um, environment to be in anyway. Yeah, I mean insurers are going to have to adapt. That's the big point for them is they're going to have to adapt their business. Um, and insurance premiums probably for conventional vehicles will rise um, eventually. Um, although again, it depends on. Um, how widely adapted or how widely adopted these vehicles are going to be yeah how you know how wide are these are these uh driverless cars actually going to be ad- adopted by people um and i think to begin with it's going to be you're going to have quite a few people obviously wanting these vehicles but the general public they're going to need to trust them um and if they keep getting into accidents like they have been there may be a bit of an issue with trusting them to be honest <laughs> Yeah, I mean, um, that's, so, yeah, it's a difficult one to solve. Um, how do you think, uh, I mean, public opinion can be changed in, in various ways. And one of the, the issues with um, the, the, the machine uh, side of this specifically is that we have things like Terminator and, uh, and um, iRobot and all sorts of different kind of um, our cultural artifacts telling us that these machines are a certain way, yeah. that they are possibly never going to be and are currently not so i mean it's a difficult challenge isn't it to um change public opinion um and like you say in the face of kind of like these tesla crashes and uh, volvo mishaps and things like that Mm. yeah it's it's a difficult one i mean you've just got to try and i suppose the solution a lot of it is about the press coverage of it um and actually, again, if I if I just go back to the original motor car, what was happening is that the press were literally writing these stories in these newspaper cuttings saying, like, murder on the roads. Get these obscene vehicles off these roads. Get, you know, they are... You know, and the, the press coverage was so negative for them that it led everybody to believe, well, actually, these are dangerous. We don't want to be near them. Get them off our roads. So a lot of it depends on the press coverage. If the press properly cover it and they, you know, and they give a fair and balanced viewpoint, then um, there shouldn't be a massive issue of public perception. So a lot of it is about what people read in the newspapers and in the books and everything else. Mm. Uh, as long as it's properly covered in the newspapers, that they're not being too negative about it, it shouldn't be much of an issue. Yeah. Um, so uh, in terms of um, drones and things like that, um, do your... your um, insurance issues apply there somewhere or is that mainly legislation implications to drone flights because i know that they have brought in some legislation which means that for um some private property um some public property you have to have a license to fly drones now yeah 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 i mean that's the problem with with insurance i don't think it's compulsory to insure drones at the moment um, and I think it probably will be eventually once, you know, they, they become, again, it's quite an early stage of them. They are around, hmm. but they're not, you don't see them whizzing by all the time. They are around in places. And it's when they become widespread 
and then you start to see them hit things and crash into planes, etc., yep. then you've got a bit of an issue. Um, I've, I've, again, I've read something that actually there's more chance of a bird hitting a plane than a drone hitting a plane at the moment. Um, so it's obviously actually, good, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it's, it's, they're not a massive risk at this moment. They will be. Um, they, they, there's no doubt that they will be a risk. But um, at the moment, there's no need to insure them. When things change and they start to getting to crashes, etc., then they'll probably have to review and maybe introduce compulsory insurance for drones. Yeah. Uh, and that might be for larger drones, smaller drones, or just kind of like depending on where they are, how they're operating, that sort of thing. I just in, I just compulsory insure all of them. All of them. Um, if if I mean these things are expensive. If you, if you can afford to buy a drone, you can afford to buy insurance for it, surely. So I think that they should be insuring these compulsory eventually, um, just like anything else, really. Right. Um, so in terms of our kind of um, cars and drones and um, robots and all sorts of other kind of types of automation and AI and things like that. Uh, what kind of most excites you at the moment for the future? What are the things um, which uh, pique your interest? I mean, we, obviously we've talked about um, automated vehicles and things like that, but what we've been seeing, which is um, really fascinating, it could be on the technology side, I guess, um, I mean, I like I like the idea of these convoys of lorries. I find that absolutely fascinating that you can just have this long convoy of lorries driving on the roads. Um, and I think you, I, it, it would be a bit interesting to see them actually go on the motorways in the UK and see how drivers react to them. Um, I'd imagine it'd be quite negative to begin with because trying to overtake lorries at times can be quite difficult anyway. But I think actually that... That, that just fascinates me, being able to just have these long snakes of lorries just driving along the road, right, you know, bumper to bumper, is, it yeah. just it fascinates me, it really does. And I think, you know, the potential for this is absolutely huge. Um, and I think that's why the government is investing all this money in this at the moment, and why the insurance industry is investing all this money, is because automated transport and technology, we're at this stage now where over the next few years, it's just going to go mad it's just going to blow up and it's going to be absolutely fantastic so for me just the whole automated technology sector is is fascinating um and obviously for a lawyer or for a, an academic it's even more fascinating because it, it brings all of these legal and regulatory issues that you know it there's so many different problems i mean i, I don't even think we've even got to the we haven't even got there's so many different regulatory issues. We haven't even, we haven't even got to the start of it yet, to be honest. This is just the start. We now have, over the next few years, it's just going to be so many legal issues, regulatory issues with all of this. And it's fascinating. It really is. Do you think, uh, I mean, I think that's a fascinating point. Um, I think there was uh, something that piqued my interest uh, recently, an article about one of the American states stipulating that um, for automated cars, you had to have some sort of, kind of static ethical thing in place and that that kind of really flies in the face of uh, what actually the technology itself is doing within yes. so do you think that um, there's kind of a mismatch between the people who are legislate, legislating themselves and actually the technology that's um, at play um, do you think we I mean I probably believe that we need more um, technologically adapt people in those positions um, to advise yeah. and that sort of thing in the government? Yeah, I mean, that's that's the... Um, I mean, to be fair, that 
there is a lot of consultation at the moment, which right. is absolutely fascinating. And I do think that we need to have more, um, you know, technologically aware people involved in this. But I do know that there's the Fatchum Research Centre, I think it's called, and they are working with the insurance industry. So there is a bit of collaboration already. My big concern with this, especially when it comes to insurance, is I, I think that it should not be this closed idea that the insurers are there helping with making the laws, you know, mm. being the only point of advising of the laws. And it seems like that was the way in 19, you know, in the 1930s. Um, so I think that it should that, you know, these consultations should help with the fact that there should be they should be widespread opinions from people in technology, people who are, you know, academics lawyers who actually have experience of this and not just the insurance industry yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and and do you see that sort of thing happening at the moment or uh, are, you, are you not close enough to it to, to make that session well I, I don't really know um at the moment it's um so far it's been quite good with the consultations um i think the consultation they, they have asked the public what they think um which is absolutely fantastic um it's whether they actually listen is the issue will they listen to us will they actually listen to the opinions yeah uh, now for me i think the one thing that i'm that i'm actually that i've been kind of advocating a little bit is personally i would actually get rid of this i would actually say don't bother with insurance now this might this may seem it sound a bit interesting but mm-hmm. don't bother with the insurance of these vehicles why not just have one central fund run by the government which pays compensation for accidents to anybody who claims? So it's, it's something that was run in New Zealand um, yeah. for compulsory insurance. Um, so what they do is that if you are hit by a car, um, then you just claim from the accident compensation, I think it's accident compensation board or whatever yeah. it is. Um, and then they will pay the compensation to you instead of having all of the insurance industry involved. That was one of the ideas I have been advocating. And I did, I have, that is one of my responses to the government is let's think of other ideas as well as insurance of these vehicles. Yeah. So would you still have to pay into the central fund as a, yes. yeah, you, you would pay it via a levy, via fuel, via petrol or via when you buy the car. So you pay for the you pay for the vehicle. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. You maybe pay an extra hundred pounds for the vehicle. That hundred pounds will then go into the central fund, and then if somebody gets hit by a vehicle, they then claim by the central fund. Okay. That then means that there's no insurance disputes. There's no liability disputes. Um, so you get rid of all of these massive liability issues. You get rid of all of these big insurance issues, and you just say, well, here you go. Yeah. There are downsides to this. It's not this miracle. And there's a reason, you know, it, there are some issues with this. There are issues such as people claiming wrongly, who's going to manage it. You know, there, there, there is lots of potential issues with fraud involving this. But my biggest issue with this is that they haven't put it in the consultation paper. They haven't even put it mm. as a possible option. So, I would, you know, that's one of the things is I think they should have been. So when it comes to them discussing this with everybody, they should have maybe they need to. I think they should firstly have a look at how the New Zealand approach works for conventional vehicles. Yeah, I think um, what you said about fraud um, is interesting because you've almost got a situation where there'd be less fraud 
by the virtue of these cars being extremely trackable, extremely uh, wired for sound and vision, etc. So actually, the the, the um, uh, there'll be less fraud enabled by simply using the, the cars. Um, uh, but that's that's very super interesting. Do you think the uh, insurance industry as a whole would be pushing back against something like that? Obviously, yeah, they wouldn't like it. Yeah, they don't. They they wouldn't like that at all. Um, they, they they really don't like that sort of suggestion. Um, yeah, because it, it eventually it gets rid of you know their whole incentive of you know it it gets rid of any any potential profits they're going to make from it. Because I think we need to remember an insurer is a business. Yeah, insurer is there to make money for its shareholders. I mean that so, that sort of uh, setup. In, um, it's almost set up to enable a central uh, pot, but also maybe even a central uh, transport network. Do you think that the government would be in a nice place to actually provide the cars themselves as well in the operation? I would hope, yeah. I mean, I I would hope that they could be able to do that. And it may be actually in the end that we get rid of owning these vehicles, people owning these vehicles, and just instead having just a loop system, you have a car come to your door, Mm-hmm. Um, you get in it and it drives you somewhere rather than you having your own car it could be that in the end you just have one of these vehicles where you have these vehicles driving around um, you pay a bit you know you pay some money towards it or whatever and then it just drives you somewhere yep like a, you could get rid of that almost like a, you know one of these car um, club systems that we already have in, in some um, cities where you can pick up a car take it somewhere drop it off and you don't own the cars; you just, yeah. you know, pay for that uh, yeah. trip and that, uh, the privilege to do so, or some sort of yeah. subscription, maybe. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that's advantageous. You know, I think that's like a really good way to go. And maybe the government would be in a, in a good position to to do it, um, hoping, obviously, that they get themselves um, sorted with the, the technology and, and getting people on board with. Um, supplying the technology and also the insurance part and all, all these different kind of, yeah. kind of nuts and bolts that they have to put together to make the yeah. work and public opinion and such. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting point, but you've also got, I mean, I think something also needs to be remembered that would the government want to open themselves up to that sort of liability issue? Because if they're then in charge of the car, if it is their car, they're going to be opening themselves up to uh, being sued if that car goes wrong. So there are issues with that as well, but it, it does seem like a good option just to remove the... But also the another, another point is, what do we do with conventional vehicles? Do we keep them on the road or not? Do we say, well, you know, because I still think there's going to be a market for them. Right. I mean, there is still a market for cars from the 1940s, 1950s. Yeah. What are we going to do? You know, are we going to allow these vehicles on the road to continue on the road? Because eventually they're going to be the most dangerous thing on the road. They are going to be the most dangerous thing on the road, and they are still going to be responsible for accidents. Um, and there is probably a higher risk of accident, I suppose, with these conventional vehicles and autonomous vehicles, because if you think about it, you haven't got the eye contact with a driver. You haven't got, you know, there's a, there's a lot of mm-hmm. potential higher risk with these conventional vehicles. Yeah, for sure. I think, um, I mean, for me, in an ideal world, you'd probably not have any human driving cars on the road and you'd maybe have a separate road or you'd have driving um you know tracks or whatever for people who um, enjoy driving want to drive um they can do that there 
Yeah, and I feel like that's fine um, because I don't know if you've ever been on the M25 around rush hour. Um, yeah. There's almost no driving involved anyway, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So <laughs> um, I think what humans do uh, amazingly well is um, straight roads, uh, well, not straight roads, so um, interestingly shaped roads, yeah. <laughs> one track and... Um, adjusting to circumstances so yeah. uh, i mean a good example is if there's a, uh, a tree falling across the road mm, yeah we can break the law uh, by crossing over to the yeah. other side to yeah. to avoid that hazard yeah. in the short term i don't think that's necessarily going to happen um where we have all the cars off the roads um, and also there's a ver- there's a lot of cars um yeah there's a huge industry and i think the transitional period um, I mean, we're presuming that the, there will be a transition from automated yeah. to non, uh, non-automated yeah. to automated cars. That's the presumption that we're making, and that's what some of the autom- automotive companies are working on, um, yeah. and some tech giants, obviously. Mm. Um, so there's a lot of money going into the automation, but there's a lot of cars on the road now. Um, yeah and still being purchased and created and things like that. So it might be interesting to see uh, what happens to those vehicles. Yeah. And, and you know, what we can do ecologically about that, because it's a massive issue, um, I would say. Yeah. And the problem yeah. we've probably got to solve at some point. Yeah. I mean, that the, the ecological issue is the big one, um, which is, I mean, that's a big advantage of driverless cars, is the fact that it's going to... I mean, they're, they're going to have less um, issues with the the emissions. It's going to be much, you know, a lot of the issues. I mean, a lot of the big backlogs on road at the moment is driver braking, a driver unnecessarily braking. With these automated vehicles, you don't have that. So you're going to everything's just going to be, you know, the whole um, emissions and everything's going to be excellent with these vehicles. And I think, you know, normal vehicles, conventional vehicles, one of the big issues is the fact that they are very bad for the environment. Yeah. So the, the, these automated vehicles hopefully will be better for the environment. They will obviously be much more efficient and hopefully we'll simply need less of them as well um, yeah. uh, because they're more efficient. Um, there's less ownership. Um, people can, you know, ride with each yeah. other, etc. Yeah. Yeah. Um, God, it's an idyllic world we will be living in, won't it? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's that's the thing. It's, I mean, in the short term, there's a, there's a lot of pain to go through, yeah. which is the regulatory issues. There's a lot of regulatory pain to go through. You know, there's a lot of investigations needed. Um, and I think the one, po- I mean, the one thing that I would really urge is that we ensure that the the government worked with all the other governments, all of the other member states of the European Union, all of the countries in the world. To ensure that there is a system which works, and I think there needs to be cooperation. Mm-hmm. And even despite the Brexit vote, one of the big issues is we're still going to be able, we're still going to need to travel between different member states of the European Union. And the, the reason why the European Union legislates on motor insurance so much is because it is vital that these lorries and these cars can go between member states without having different insurance requirements. Right, I see. Without, what happened before was that they'd have these little green cards, which they would then show at the border to say that they had valid insurance at their own member state. The issue with that is that there were queues miles long, people having to show these green cards, etc. 
So what they need to ensure is that they work together with all the other member states of the European Union to ensure that there's a system that, you know, that we maybe have very similar regulatory systems or systems that at least don't, you know, con contrast too much because otherwise you're going to have massive issues with traveling across border. Mm. So that's a massive issue that they need to really address is that we all have, we have very similar standards of compensation protection and very similar standards of insurance. Do you think that it might be one of those things that we just don't have cross-border travel on this network to get over that kind of issue? Oh no, you need you need to because you need these lorries need to be travelling across the trade. You need to be travelling; these convoys need to be travelling across border. Right, right. Uh, trade is is massive. So with these um, lorries, especially these long snakes of lorries, you need to be travelling across border so that. Uh, they they need to have these comp you know these insurance requirements that are very similar to each other. Yeah. Jurisdiction. Right. I don't know if we explained earlier, but the the snakes of of uh, lorries um, mm. are kind of like a, a, a train like convoy because yeah. if they're automated, they can get uh, much closer to one another. Yeah. Um, yeah. And travel uh, at the same pace, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, almost like one large vehicle. Yeah. So, what? Do you think um, is scary? What what is um, the things that are um, worrisome um, in this kind of um, mm. computer world at the moment? Well, obviously, you see these films, mm -hmm. iRobot. It, 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 you know, they get to a point when you when these you know robots etc. They if you give them too much you know, and, and they they, they start to make decisions for themselves. It does seem, if you do watch some of these these films, it's quite scary, you know, robots taking over the world. I don't think that's going to happen. But you've also got to be quite careful with it. You do have to be quite careful with exactly what we, you know, what we program these machines to do. And with these driverless cars especially, you are, lit, you are pretty much programming them to kill, if you think about it. Because they're going to have to make these ethical decisions. They're going to have to, obviously, I've seen this, the trolley problem. Mm. And there are issues whereby... You know, if if, if a driverless car is on the road and you you have it has to choose, it can't stop. So you've got, you know, a group of uh, children in the middle of the road, or you've got somebody on the side of the road. Who do you choose to, you know, you, you, and, it, and it can't stop? Who do you, you know, you, in a way, you are programming these cars to kill. So it is it is quite a dangerous. It can be quite dangerous, and it can be quite, you know, when you think about it properly, it can be quite difficult because you you are going to have these robots and these cars and these drones and there is potential for catastrophe mm. along with the brilliant benefits of them yeah and i guess one of the um arguments um for the use of these cars um in the face of this kind of catastrophe is that there'll be many many fewer accidents but mm. one or two larger accidents yeah. uh, or catastrophes um where there is no um, people at fault, so there's a strange reaction to how people um, feel about the situation, considering yeah. there's no uh, actual human mm. necessarily in control of that situation. Um, yeah. But the the issue here, though, again, is with hacking, with mm. you know, people doing things they shouldn't be doing with these vehicles, um, and it. it 
there is potential for people to be interfering with these vehicles, hacking them, etc. And the legal response to this has to be quite careful, I suppose. Um, and one of the questions in the consultation paper was, do we still compensate an innocent victim due to hacking? So if somebody hacks a car, um, should the insurer still have to pay for anybody it runs over? The answer to that is an obvious yes. Um, even if even if the car is hacked or even if the car is massively manipulated or whatever else or is mm. used for horrendous purposes, the key point is you always compensate the person who has been hit by that car. Um, and that needs to be that, that needs to be at the forefront of any legislation or any regulatory response is that subject to what we call fault. So subject mm -hmm. to liability issues, which there can be some issues with contributory negligence, etc. You need to be compensating whoever gets hit by these cars, subject to obviously laws of negligence. Yeah. So it's a massive issue. But if you if you hack a if somebody hacks a car, um, the point to make is that the third party or the innocent victim has to be compensated. Um, can I can I make a a, um, a a scenario that I thought of in this in a way which might get in the way of always always um, compensate, which yeah. is Given um, a car reacting in a certain way, yeah. someone might almost step out in front of a car on purpose in order yeah. to, in order that they know that there will be some sort of reaction from the car, which is some way predictable. Yeah, um, you might put yourself in danger, but you won't necessarily put yourself in fatal danger in order to game the system. You know get that compensation maybe um or you know put someone else at harm in doing so yeah that that's an issue that's a, that's a major issue um but it first it depends on the stage of automation it depends on at what stage the automation is if mm -hmm. it's a fully autonomous car and that car then malfunctions and runs this person over then that person should be compensated because the car has malfunctioned mm -hmm. if you're at an earlier stage of automation and that somebody just you know, walks in front of it, then that's their own fault. And again, a lot of it's due to contributory negligence. It's about, you know, whose fault was it? Um, now, there is a system called strict liability whereby you mm. just pay for anything. You pay for no matter what's happened, you, there's a, there's a few exceptions. But if you end up, you know, walking in front of a car, you get the compensation. If you end up doing something on purpose, you'll probably get prosecuted. But, you know, Basically, strict liability means there is no issues with um, contribution in the end. So that is an option, strict liability. And I think we may go down that route. It may be that they do decide to go down that route and they say, right, we'll just have strict liability for everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And maybe that the, um, the risk in doing so is less than overall with the numbers that might be trying to gain the system. But the interesting thing is that the European Union is in favour of strict liability. The European Union wants strict liability across the board. Hmm. Um, it recommended it in its fifth directive, um, and then it had to be um, its fifth motor insurance directive, and then it had to, they withdrew it in the end due to some member states' disapproval. The potential there was huge that there could be, and the European Union could say, let's just have strict liability, and that is that won't be very popular because that will then have the newspaper headlines of people, you know, who are, you know, who are walking in front of these cars getting hit out, getting run over. Well you know, that's not going to be very popular with the general public, I don't think. No. I mean, is that specifically for the automated cars or is that for cars generally? Uh, well, 
the interesting point is that the motor insurance directives regulate automated vehicles. So um, the uh, there was an impact assessment due to a case um, um, from the European Court of Justice. Anyway, the, the the impact assessment said that automated vehicles are co are covered and are defined as an as a normal vehicle, and therefore, under the motor insurance directives, you ha they have to be covered on private land. They have to be covered. Um, there can be no exclusions of liability, etc. So actually, um, theoretically, yeah, the, the the in the future if the if the they decide to introduce another directive, they could say let's have strict liability, and that is a potential option cool well i mean it sounds um less hazy from an administrative point of view uh, it's much easier to handle so i guess we're getting to the end here um yes. is there anything else that you would like to um have a, a little quick chat about obviously you got the book coming out in in a year and a, and a bit um is there anything that's coming up you'd like to talk about um i mean there's obviously a at the moment, there's been with all these judicial, with all of these um, developments, um, there are a lot of publications going out um, from myself. Um, I've been publishing in different journals. Um, I had an article published in an Italian journal um, just this last month. I've had mm. I'm publishing quite a lot. And if anybody who's kind of not really because the insurance aspects can be quite complicated, there is an article on the conversation which can be there's a there's a web page called conversation which i've written which is so there's a lot of articles coming out from by both myself and i think lucy's also writing a fair bit um so there is a lot of you know fantastic um publications going out there really um so although the book is in a year and a half time there is still mm. going to be a lot of comments uh, and this area is really getting exciting now over the next year it's going to be absolutely brilliant there's going to be so much going on Cool. Um, and where can people find these sorts of uh, articles that you've been writing? Um, a lot of them are online, free to view. Um, so some of them are on, um, if you just Google driverless cars, law, etc., they're, they're there. But I do I do put some of, there are some of them that I put online myself. Yeah. Um, so I've got my own Twitter feed as well. Yep. Uh, which can be viewed and accessed. And that's, what's your Twitter handle? Um, it's Matthew Shannon and it's just um, underscore afterwards. Matthew Shannon underscore. Cool. Yeah. Um, so thanks for um, speaking to us today and for all your knowledge and experience and, and everything. And hopefully we'll speak to you again in the future. Perfect. Thank you. Thanks.